on today's show. I think there's a way that you can tell missions stories and make appeals to missions that can be manipulative. And oh yeah, I, and, I, and I realize the line is kind of fine, but I don't feel like guilt is a great motivator for anything long term. That anything that's going to produce long term fruit. Yeah. I think better to to lift up the affection right of toward Christ, to exalt Christ. To like you mentioned talking about. You know, Christ giving us strength for the work that he calls us to do, that, that Christ is going to empower us to do it. And the glory of the majesty of the kingdom of God and the, the lostness of souls and the power that God's going to give us to accomplish that, lifting up that calling and, uh, and causing people to aspire to something like that rather than than guilting them into, you know, here's pictures of poor, starving children. Stay tuned. And welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Communications and Media with ABWE, joined by my co-host Scott Dunford, pastor of Western Hills Church in San Mateo, California, here again bringing you another episode on World Mission here. And for us, it's been a couple weeks out of the saddle here. It's good to be back in business, Scott. It's good to see your face. How are things in your neck of the woods? For people who aren't on uh, YouTube, that they don't realize that Alex is actually sitting in a real saddle. He he has a saddle that he that <laughs> oh, he yes. that he sits in while he's doing these podcasts. So uh, it's that, cool. That's right. It's it's a little uncomfortable, but you know anything for the listeners and for the viewing experience to be improved. Uh, hey, Scott, we've got something that we're really stoked about here at ABWE, and that's the Cloud of Witnesses podcast that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Um, are you all caught up? Did you listen to yesterday's brand new episode yet? I haven't listened to it yet, but it's in my queue. All right. Well, you can listen more and hear the story of the Dickinsons who served in Togo for several decades, Gibb and Marilyn. And you can also listen to about four other episodes as of the time of this recording. By the time this drops, who knows, maybe by the time this episode makes it into your ears, there'll be more. Uh, But if you're someone who's into storytelling style podcasts, if you love missionary biography, if you're a listener to this show and you're like, man, I really wish Scott and Alex would just do more long form storytelling with missionaries. That is the cloud of witnesses podcast. Go to cloud of witnesses podcast.com or in your favorite podcast platform, search for cloud of witnesses should come up there uh, pretty close to the top in the results. There might be one or two other shows with similar names, but we are just excited to be bringing this resource to you from the ABWE global family of ministries. It's our way of giving back to the church and just celebrating what God has done through ABWE here over Nearly the last 100 years. Hard to believe that this mission is almost a hundred years old, Scott. And this mission wouldn't have made it to this point apart from the grace of God. And apart from the grace of God working through sending pastors who preach for mobilization. Uh, Scott, I know that there's times in your life where you've been compelled into action by sermons that you've heard on mission. I mean, for goodness sakes, you sat under the preaching of John Piper for a period of time. I'm sure that had an yeah, effect on your heart impacting. for the nations. It did. Well, I think what John Piper did, and this is a great example of pastoral preaching, because most people, they've heard like his sermons at conferences or at Passion. Uh, that was kind of the, his seashell sermon was kind of one that's kind of started a movement. But seeing sitting in the in the pew for six months 
and hearing just the weekly preaching of God's word and and how he was able to to shape hearts toward missions was also impacting on me. Um, you know, growing up, I don't know if you had this experience. You we, you and I had different like church experiences as kids, part, partly because yeah, yeah. there's a generation gap between us. But um, you know, I loved when missionaries came, and we'd have missionaries come on Sunday night. And usually once a month and they would put up a, you know, a projector and they would show slides and this is what's happening around the world. And it was, it was interesting often because it was because of a break from the, the norm. But every once in a while you would run into a preacher or a missionary who was also a preacher. And uh, most, I remember telling my dad one time when I was a little kid, like, you know, the good, the good preachers become evangelists, the mediocre preachers become pastors and the really bad preachers become missionaries, Um, which was obviously terrible and uh, (laughs) shows a little bit of the background I grew up in. But we had a missionary uh, that was amazing preacher that I came across in college named Daryl Champlin. And uh, some of you might have heard of heard of him or that the, the Champlin Grings family, who was hugely influential in in the Congo and in Guyana, um, in Suriname, and uh, had a huge impact. But he was a phenomenal preacher, and he also taught our intro to missions class growing up. and And I just remember hearing the way he would describe the need of the nations and the glory of God. He was, he had this little thing he'd make us say, um, you know, that the eternal purpose of God, uh, which is to call out from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation of people for his glory and go on and on and on like that. And, and really put the emphasis on the glory of God being exalted in pushing us to missions, which I had never heard before. And at that time in 1994, it was, you know, very rare to hear someone speak like that, which now we hear obviously mm-hmm. much more with the with the influence of John Piper and, of course, uh, sure. Cross Conference. And and it's, it's the way we talk about missions now, which wasn't then. And uh, this was a hugely influential. I also just recently, most people have heard of David Platt, one of the, you know, really influential missions mobilizing preachers, fascinating speaker. And I've often listened to him and said, well, you know, what? Why is he so interesting to listen to and why does he have such an impact on people? But he, he told this story and maybe you've heard this sermon, Alex, where uh, he sat down and played a little ditty on the piano and talked about his worship, you know, like leading days and how a bad piano player he was. But he's like, imagine, you know, like playing the song without half the keys and, and, and gave this illustration that was just like really profound and how it made me think about um, the you know, the, the nations and the need for the gospel and worshipers among the nations. So it kind of brought up an idea that I think you and I could talk about because we both love preaching. You know, you, a couple of your sermons have been yeah. on the podcast uh, lately. I noticed you never put any of my sermons on the podcast, Alex. I, Send them you know, to me. <laughs> oh, oh <laughs> they're all on the internet. No, I, I'm just teasing. Um, someday, someday, Alex, I'll rise to that level. But uh, but we love preaching and we love missions. So it got me thinking, Alex, and I'm wondering if this is something you've been thinking about too. But how can pastors who are just in the pulpit, but even missionaries maybe who are traveling, preach more effectively for missions mobilization. Is that something you've been thinking about? Yeah, I'm thinking about it a lot right now, actually. I'm preaching on uh, a text. I've been asked to preach for a missions Sunday this upcoming Lord's Day. And so it's really fresh on my mind. Uh, I mean, you're you're preaching every week. And so maybe in some sense, every sermon that you preach is a missions sermon. But this one in particular uh, is meant to be centered around the nations. And the thing that I weigh out uh, all of the time is what you're describing there and just that phrase that you were able to rattle off so quickly and so easily because it's been committed to your memory. 
right? This Mm -hmm. idea of God's glory among the nations. And so often I, I think that pastors probably are thinking that to preach missionally uh, means to be constantly harping on a imperative to be engaged in short-term missions or some kind of cross-cultural mission mm. locally. And they're thinking very much in the weeds. They're thinking in the application of those things. And anyone who's worked with Piper's material or has been exposed to that way of thinking over the last several years, which I think most of our listeners are going to belong to that school of thought. It all centers on the worship of God. And the thing that I appreciate most that Piper has brought to the preaching discussion is his idea of expository exaltation, right? Mm. Uh, which is simply this idea that that not all it, you're not just saying what a text says, you're not just teaching, you're preaching, you're proclaiming. The, the church should see the minister of the word, whether he's a visiting missionary, whether he's a pastor, whether he's an elder qualified person who's being lent to the pulpit that week, they should see that person burning. They should mm-hmm. see that person rejoicing in God and in his glory. That type of thing is the type of thing that spills out on mission. Absolutely. But I, I think it, it starts not just with asking this question, how can we preach to mobilize people for mission? I think we got to ask first and foremost, are we preaching the glory of God? Are we trying to convey the weight, the magnitude, uh, the honor of God, the gravitas of the triune one that we worship? When we preach, are people seeing us burn? Are we announcing? Are we proclaiming? Or are we merely giving a talk? Mm-hmm. Are we merely giving a, a nice lecture uh, with some interesting factoids along the way? That's foundational. And I, I think you and I both agree on that fundamental difference between preaching and proclaiming God's word, taking the scriptures, expositing them, and then delighting in them and calling other people to delight in in how God reveals himself in a text of scripture and simply teaching and, and simply laying out information. Uh, that That's a critical distinction first and mm-hmm. foremost. There's a difference though. And and you you and I have both done this thing and you're doing it a lot now. I did it when I was in in the role before where we're out preaching. We get invited to come preach to a church and it, it's clear why they're invited us to preach. They don't invite us to preach right. on marriage and family. They're inviting us to preach on, on missions. And usually it's about mobilizing people to think and pray and give more effectively toward missions. There's, that's one type of preaching. Then there's a, then there's the, the week by week preaching of the pulpit, which is different. Now, you're an elder too in your church, even though I don't think you're preaching every Sunday, but you do have opportunity to preach in those settings as well. I'm kind of in the thick of it. I'm a solo pastor right now. I'm preaching every week, you know, what's up next in first Peter, we're going there, we're preaching through it. So, so how would you quantify the difference between those two kinds of preaching as you do it? I mean, number one, you and I are both. And I think many of our listeners, again, we share this commitment to expository preaching. So if somebody is asked to speak for a particular occasion, that's great. If they're given a theme, if they're given a little bit of guidance from the church on what that should be, maybe what the theme of the missions conference is, I think for a lot of our listeners, that's a situation that happens, especially if they're a missionary raising support, traveling on deputation. Uh, But those things should still be grounded in a text of scripture. Even if you're given a theme, okay, find the text that best accentuates that theme that you can prayerfully lay before your hearers. 
And then once you've identified that text, no matter what other considerations there are, if you know there's a particular call to action that you want to have at the end, a ministry that you're inviting people to partner with, uh, maybe you've also been asked to give a little bit of a ministry update for yourselves, uh, I, I would encourage people, separate those things in your mind as much as you can so that you can keep the main point of the text, the main point of your sermon, whatever the primary thrust of that passage is, should be the primary thrust mm of your message, your exposition of it. Yeah, there's going to be other interesting things to draw people's attention to along the way, but uh, you cannot miss the forest for the trees. And and ultimately, we have to trust that God is going to mobilize his people and build up and equip and nurture the flock through his word, the way that he sees fit. And I can't come into sermon prep with an agenda. Even if I want to mobilize, even if I want to see a heart permission. The Lord knows what that church needs. Maybe they need to be mobilized. Maybe someone's just experienced loss that week, though, and and needs to be encouraged in a slightly different way. And so we have to lay those goals before the Lord and then trust him to work through his word in the way that he desires. Right. I I, I think you have to check that agenda at the door. Yeah, that's good. I really appreciate that. that I I do think there's like adding to that, not disagreeing with it at all, but adding to that there's a little bit different emotional pitch you can hit mm. um, an emotional note you can hit when you're being brought in to speak on a certain area that is mm. different than when you're preaching. Um, you know, if I would invite you to come and preach in our church and you're preaching on missions, I really want you to, 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 to lay it out there, you know, and, and you can use right. your God given emotion, I think to, to draw attention to something that if, if that kind of preaching happened every single week, uh, it'd be thoroughly exhausting um, and people would not be able to follow it. I've done a lot of the kind of preaching is just once in a while at different churches. I've preached once and never preached there again. Um, and I really didn't like it. Um, I do it and I enjoy meeting people, but yeah. comparatively to what you get to do every Sunday, it's I don't enjoy it as, as much as that. And the, what, what I love about preaching every Sunday, and I want to say, speak this to pastors, is that you have the opportunity to show how every text of Scripture exalts Jesus Christ, how every text of Scripture is about how Christ is building his kingdom, and, and, and building that like steady drumbeat of what God is doing, not just amongst your church and your community, but among the nations. And uh, I, I think that's a beautiful thing that pastors can do on a weekly basis is you're building the structure on which the eternal mission of God to reach some from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation for his glory is accomplished. And uh, so in that sense, um, I don't, and I don't think this is eisegesis. I think every text in many ways is a missions text. Um, and as a pastor, I think you can be thoughtful and careful about how you uh, draw out those themes and help make those themes prominent in people's minds uh, so that so that they have a heart for that. I'm, I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, we can get a little bit more into practically how that works out, whether you're a visiting preacher or or the regular uh, pastor preaching to your flock each week. But another approach that I've found helpful, Scott, is to just look at a text and say, well, what does this assume uh, to be true, even if it's not said explicitly, right? So I've been working through the book of Philippians a lot lately. By the way, if you follow abwe.org, our blog, our website, uh, each week I've been posting through the book of 
Philippians there, and that's been uh, being used for other things as well in emails. But uh, in this devotional series, you know, the thing that I'm grappling with as I've been really kind of trying to tear the, the text apart, uh, it's a book for people on mission. Not every line on every page is Paul saying, now remember, you got to be out there with the gospel. Uh, mm-hmm. He makes similar statements uh, a handful mm-hmm. of times, but it's not in every verse. It's not even necessarily in every chapter. But the whole tenor of the book, and I think this applies to scripture, the whole tenor of the scriptures is that God is speaking to his people whom he expects to be about the work of ministry, to mm-hmm. be about his priorities, you know, at, on a micro level and on a macro level. Uh, scripture mm-hmm. is not meant to be consumed by a lethargic people. It's it's given to people who are already putting shoe leather on their faith. And there's certain things that just don't make sense read in any other way, too. Because, yeah, you know, as a pastor preaching to your flock week in and week out, uh, that there's different needs each week. And it can't be all exhortation. Uh, it has to also include some of the other things that Scripture includes, right? But in all of those, there's an assumption that we're about the work of ministry. There's also an assumption about the greatness of God that this is something mm-hmm. that just has to be shared, right? Yeah, and about the ministry of Christ in redeeming sinners. Um, and this is why, you know, it's it's so cr- crucial. I mean, I'm preaching through First Peter right now, and suffering, suffering, suffering all the time is coming up in the first four chapters, but it's always mm-hmm. within a context of Jesus's suffering on our behalf, and that we should not be suffering because we're sinning. We should be suffering in such a way that, highlights the fact that Christ has redeemed us and saved us so that people would be one, you know, one for his glory. And so, you know, I think there's a way that we can preach even pastorally that allows some of those, those natural mission ideas to come through that we're, that we're helping, helping people identify as we're going through it. Uh, I'm curious about this. Uh, So how, I'm thinking about some ideas and maybe you've thought about that too, of how to weave missions into a normal sermon structure. I'm not talking about just the exegesis, but the, the things that go along with it, the illustration, the applications, how would you go about doing that? Well, I mean, illustrations, I mean, you're kind of tipping your hand, right? I mean, instead of pulling out your concordance of stock sermon illustrations that are just nice little stories, right? However you go about finding your illustrations, why not pull those from missionary biographies, uh, mm-hmm. both past and present? Why not pull an illustration from a missionary whose prayer letter you receive when we're talking about affliction and the need to be supporting each other in prayer? You know, for instance, consider so-and-so. Maybe some of the people in the church has received that same letter, right? That's a that's a good, easy way to do it as well. I, I also want to think through application. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't do this consistently. I know of others who who recommend this, think it's a great approach, is that application can come in, people break it into different quadrants, uh, but when you structure your application section, application for yourself, for your household, for your church, and for your, and here you could insert the world, or you can insert your community, or you mm-hmm. can insert your nation, you know, where whatever the, the proximate kind of audience is there. But that's a great way of doing that. Get people in the habit of thinking that application isn't just for me. So, so often, I think the application that we give when we preach, Scott, it's it's like, hey, think about this this week, right? In other words, all of the the messages can be applied just between my ears. And in reality, there's, there's some things that are going to require me to take action in my workplace uh, or in my family, in my household, my extended family, potentially. 
And then there's there's a macro level application to a nation or to the nations or to a uh, to a whole town or a whole community to a state perhaps. Uh, getting people to think of scripture as public truth, uh, I, I think, is one way to weave that throughout. That this is uh, yes, it's for the covenant people of God, but it's it's for the world. These are the public covenant documents for all of humanity to see and to respond in faith and obedience. Right. So it's for me to receive and learn. Right. But it's it's not. It's not just, and this is going to sound heretical, but I think you know where I'm going with this, Scott. The scriptures are not just God's love letter to Alex Kochman. Uh, They are for everyone, right? It's public truth. Theology is public. It's meant to be made known. Uh, And again, I, I think when we give applications, so often it's just for you. And what if we turned that into a plural you, right? Which English lacks, but get people thinking about what it means for you all. Right, I think is a part of that. I think a lot of it has to do with application. But Scott, I'm curious for you, how are you weaving missions into each sermon? Agreeing with what you just said and just maybe adding to that just a little bit. I think thinking globally about your illustrations. So, you know, obviously you don't want to do that with every illustration that you use, but weaving in what's happening around the world, giving your congregation a global consciousness of how this might apply um, and how it's being lived out, the, the, the truth of scripture being lived out around the world. Um, I think, like you said, with application, I think that's really crucial that we there, we're weaving in the the need to think about the nations um, and even Christ's sovereignty over the nations. And and maybe that's where when, when we're seeing Jesus Christ as Lord, it's important to step back and say, not just Lord here, not mm-hmm. just Lord in your heart, but mm-hmm. Lord over the peoples of the nations and and bringing that out. When when the scripture, sometimes we read through the Psalms, like in our church, almost every Sunday we have a call to worship from the Psalms. And I, sometimes I just want to pause at certain places and say, notice here how the psalmist is calling the nations. These are the enemies of God. He's, call, he's calling them to come and worship the Lord and looking forward to the day when the Messiah will come and make a possibility of peace that all Nations of the world will be blessed through him. You know, just taking those moments to kind of highlight the fact that the gospel is not just for your tribe. The gospel is for all peoples. And so I think the scriptures are full of those things. We just have to stop and kind of, you know, yellow highlight them for our congregation because all of us think, first of all, about our own setting. And uh, we have to push our people to think more broadly. And I think as they think with more of a kingdom focus then they're going to think more more missionally. I think that's just a, a natural, easy way, not easy, but a natural way that we need to think through our week-to-week expositional preaching to highlight the things that are just that are just right in the text. Scott, that's so good. Um, yeah, so what are some of your favorite missions texts to preach on then when you're specifically just preaching on missions? Yeah, I mean, maybe we can go back and forth because I'm sure you've got a list that you love. And it, we probably shouldn't assume that people are familiar with, you know, Matthew chapter 28 um, and, and yes. Acts 1. You know, the, those are such great texts and, and we should not assume that everyone knows them and is familiar with them. But beyond that, because those are probably the ones that first come to mind, I love Psalm 67. It's the one I've actually preached the most. What I love about it is it it puts the question of blessing on front in front of us, uh, where it says, you know, may God be gracious to us and bless us, is, is really a thought to think, why has God blessed us? 
and, and the, you know, the answer, so that your ways may be known on earth, and then this, like, your saving power to the nations, your salvation Hashtag among blessed. the nations. I think that's so important for Christians, especially in the West, to think about is God has blessed you. Why has he blessed you? And uh, he's blessed you so that your blessing would be would would go forth to the nations, that God's blessing would be known among the nations. Then this goes on to say, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy for you. Rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations on the earth. And uh, it just highlights the the greatness of God and the fact that that the the message of the gospel is good news because uh, the 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 false uh, gods they judge poorly uh, the false rulers of this world they judge unjustly the the rule and the reign of God is a good thing and so it's such a blessing to receive the good news of Jesus and as we have to remind ourselves of that because. Our world tells us that you know preaching the good news of Jesus Christ is just colonialism. So uh, we have to we have to remind ourselves. No, this is good for yeah. people, and they need to hear it. Yeah. What are some of your favorite texts? Yeah. Well, first, I love that you start with the Great Commission text in Matthew twenty-eight because we cannot assume people have heard that. We've talked already yeah. on this show about the Barna study that showed that uh, probably, oh my gosh, I mean, three quarters out of, of people in your church uh, have either no idea what that is. Or they have some inkling, but they're really unsure of it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's far too many people sitting and, and occupying space in our churches really do not understand Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh, and in that, I love to start there, and I love to focus on verse 18, the all authority bit. Mm. And to that, I go to Psalm 2, right? That even though the nations mm-hmm. are raging, uh, the Lord has appointed his king on Zion's hill, right? And all of the kings and the rulers and nations are called to kiss the sun lest they perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled, right? So there is Uh this global summons from God to repent and tremble and pay uh, honor to King Jesus. And Uh it's a call that's issued to even kings and governors. And so I, I love going there. I love weaving in Daniel chapter seven, which is the son of man approaching the ancient of days in heaven. Uh And people do all sorts of things with that. Uh, but we have to recognize that a big piece of what's happening, there is the ascension of Jesus, that mm-hmm. upon ascending into heaven, just as you have in Psalm 2, uh, the, the father says to the son, ask of me and I will give you the nations. I'll make the nations your heritage and you'll rule them with a rod of iron. You'll dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Well, that's what happens in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And from there, it goes on to describe how the Son of Man is given a dominion consisting of all nations and tribes and languages. It's a lot like the Revelation throne room scenes that you get Mm -hmm. later in Scripture, but it's Old Testament. I love to go from there to Psalm 110, verse 1. The Mm -hmm. Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And of course, that is the text that's most quoted from the Old Testament in the New Testament. In, in other words, the, the Holy Spirit, as he's inspiring the authors of the New Testament, is really, really passionate that the people of God would understand the ascension of Jesus and the authority that he's been given over the globe, not just someday at his return, but following the resurrection mm-hmm. and following his enthronement in heaven, which has already taken place. That's the mm-hmm. basis of mission. I get so excited to preach on those things. And one more text I'll throw in there just to mix things up. Of course, 
Uh, I've, I've preached on Romans 10 and, and 15 as well. How will they, you know, believe if someone doesn't preach to them, if, if they don't hear? Mm-hmm. And Romans 15 describing just who the unreached are and why the Apostle Paul had this ambition to preach Christ where someone had not yet laid a foundation. I'll be preaching on that this Sunday. Yeah, I love that uh, But one. one text I really do like to return to often is actually, um, and, and it was John Piper that really exposed me to, to reading this passage in this way. It's 2 Thessalonians 1. Verse 11, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Mm. In other words, this prayer that whatever resolutions you're making of things that you want to commit to do for the Lord, that God would come in and strengthen you to plug in to his power by his grace, through faith in his power working in your life so that you would then have the capacity to go and do those things. Because so often we lay challenges and imperatives in front of our people uh, and then what, you know, go, go ahead and do it now. Right. Uh, But to close with that and to say, God will give you power if you're resolving to do something good for him, whether or not it's in his will and it goes the way you planned. uh, If you are submitting those desires to God, he'll give you the strength to do something Mm. with it. Uh, he's mm-hmm. not going to give you that desire and not use it whatsoever, even if it's just mm-hmm. to make you a, a better intercessor for the nations. He's going to use that for something and, and letting people realize that God is sovereign in the desires that he's put into their hearts. That if, if they're feeling stirred to the world, uh, that that's something that the Lord can use in their lives for his purposes. And so uh, that gets real personal and and, and real um, in, in the weeds of just what a person is sensing in their heart and mind after hearing the word uh, preached. I mean, again, though, every text of Scripture is is a, yeah. a mission, missions text, depending what way you're looking at it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so let me ask you this, Scott. What are some things to avoid? What are some common pitfalls, uh, maybe missions texts that aren't, right? Things that people have, have harped on um, that you would say maybe this is being misused, maybe this isn't about missions or evangelism the same way that we always think it is. What are some traps that you try to avoid in your preaching? I think I want to be really careful about manipulating um, emotions, especially of young people. And I think there's a way that you can tell missions stories and and and, and make appeals to missions that can be manipulative. And oh yeah, I, and, I, and I realize the line is kind of fine. Um, but I don't feel like guilt is a great motivator for anything long-term um, that that's going to produce long-term fruit. Yeah. I think better to, to lift up the, uh, the affection, right. Of toward Christ to exalt Christ to like you mentioned talking about, you know, Christ giving us strength for the work that he calls us to do that, that Christ is going to empower us to do it. And the glory of the majesty of the kingdom of God and the, the lostness of souls um, and the power that God's going to give us to accomplish that, lifting up that calling and, uh, and causing people to aspire to something like that rather than than guilting them into, you know, here's pictures of poor, starving children and, you know, look at all your 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 food. I mean, think think about you as a kid when your mom said, eat the liver because they're starving kids in China. That wasn't a great motivator, you know. Um, and for someone with yeah. a sensitive conscience, it might motivate them for a time, but it isn't a sustaining motivation. And so that's one thing I would uh, just caution uh, those who are trying to speak for for mobilization purposes, whether that's a pastor or a missionary or, or someone that's that's preaching. Just be really sensitive about how you're manipulating people, and especially, I think we want really want to be careful with young people because yes, I do think God can call a young person into missions, 
But generally the way I see God's calling working is, is through a combination of opportunity and gifting and also confirmation through service uh, and the yeah. confirmation of the church, yeah. uh, watching their service play out over some time. And so like narrowing it down to this moment where there's emotion and there's guilt and there's, you know, maybe a lack of sleep if you're at a camp setting and then getting the kid to walk down the aisle and say, now you're called to missions and don't ever deviate from that calling creates that I think a very spiritually unhealthy burden on someone. Do you agree with that, Alex? Uh, I think you would. Totally agree. I mean, I think there's another pitfall here that's related, mm-hmm. uh, which is just recognizing it is easy to to not only stir up an emotional response, like you're saying, uh, it's also easy to slap a Band-Aid on that. Uh, I feel guilty, and so I'm going to slap mm-hmm. a works righteousness type of Band-Aid on that. And, and what I'm talking about is the fact that it, it's easier to love a nameless, faceless orphan in mm-hmm. China that's starving because... He doesn't have my 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 mother's liver, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, than it is to love my flesh and blood embodied neighbor, or person in the pew next to me, or my own household, right? It mm-hmm. it's easy to love an idea. It's easy to get passionate about a theoretical neighbor that, in all likelihood, I'm never going to actually interact with, mm-hmm. uh, and and to make a guilt alleviating uh, action step. Uh, in order to assuage that pressure that I feel and that guilt, uh, and then with that relief, then I'm fine. And now I'm actually not invested in that at all. It's much mm-hmm. easier to love that hypothetical person. And so uh, we yes. don't want to call people to love hypothetical things. And I don't want people to love and 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 care so deeply for the nations if they are completely neglecting the the proximate moral responsibilities around them mm-hmm. right if they're not discipling their children right. if they haven't made yep. any attempt to establish contact or any level of relationship with their neighbors if they're not faithfully assembling with the church every lord's day and making use of the means of grace i mean some of these simple things I don't necessarily, it's not that I don't want them to love the nations, but there's all of these other Christian duties here that is, man, you've got to have A, Mm -hmm. B, and C down before you go to, you know, F, G, and H. And so I I think we've got to rightly order things and and encourage people to to focus on those first things. And then, yeah, missions is the overflow of a life that is is faithful and is plugged into God's means of grace through his church. Wouldn't you agree? Mm -hmm. I do agree. And I would just say just a couple thoughts for for pastors because I've I've faced this and you you do feel a level of guilt like why why isn't my church the mission church that it ought to be and sometimes you're coming into a situation mm-hmm. uh, or you've that that you're starting from ground zero you know there there isn't really a thinking about foreign missions there's not giving to missions you've never maybe they've never set sent a missionary before and I think I think that you c- can really be careful. And don't feel the guilt of like, hey, we need to be a mission sending church next week. You know, you need to build up that culture. And I think that building up of that culture takes some time and in your preaching. And so be thinking about, okay, what are the steps that need to happen? Our church, first of all, like you just said, Alex, needs to be, you didn't say it just now, but it needs to be captured with the immensity of the glory of God and his love for humanity in this yeah. world and his redemptive, the redemptive story. Then they've got to be able to 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 understand. Okay, how does that play out in my community? And like you just said, that's that's what I wanted to highlight is 
You know, they need to learn how to disciple and how to evangelize. And then it's beginning to open their mind and eyes to, to, the, to the needs of the world around them. Um, most people have never even considered the fact that, that the rest of the world isn't like it is in their hometown. And uh, that there's whole, whole huge sections of the world in which there's no or very, very little and very persecuted gospel witness. And so starting to open their minds to that while you're calling them to something. And then use your time of like vision casting to, to set it out there. Wouldn't it be great one day if, if our church commissions a missionary? Maybe you're preaching through Acts 13. Wouldn't that be cool if one day we have a, a couple of missionaries that we're going to send out and we'll lay hands on them right here and we'll send them off to reach the nations. Wouldn't that be amazing? And kind of cast that vision so that people kind of dream with you about that moment when God calls out from your body some to go to the nations. And so I think I just want to preach a little bit of patience. It's going to take a little time for starting from ground zero. And then if I can just jump in and, and just the last section about uh, what if you've inherited a missions mess? And Alex, have you been in churches in which I mean, you, you've moved a couple times. You've been in a couple different churches. Is every church you've started in and gone to uh, have a perfectly organized mission system when you arrived? No, far from it. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say the same thing. And so what do you do when you inherit a missions mess? Um, and I realize you're not sitting in a, in a kind of a lead pastor role, but because of, I'm sure because yeah. of the work you've done with missions, yeah. you're asked to speak into this issue. What would you advise uh, a church that are a pastor that comes into a church with a missions program, but it's but it's maybe not the missions program that that would be ideal. Maybe maybe they've got missionaries doing non missionary things. Um, maybe it's organizations they wouldn't support, um, or, or or maybe it's just kind of like a hodgepodge of things and it doesn't have any kind of direction. Um, any kind of thoughts or advice you'd give to a pastor coming into that that as he begins building that out? Yeah, well, and since everything we're talking about here is preaching related, I think the number one thing is, is your missions team, your missions program, your missions committee, however that's organized in your church, is that connected to your pulpit ministry? Mm -hmm. uh, is that connected to your Sunday mornings? Is that connected to the decisions that are being made by your pastors, by your elders? Or is it existing in its own lane with just these people that have been doing it for decades and they, that's their thing and they love it and they make care packages for their missionaries and it's really kind of siloed off from the life of the church. One of the things that I love about our church and the church in which I currently serve as an elder and head of our missions committee is that the, there is an organic relationship uh, between the missions committee and the elder board. We've got two of our elders actually are, are on the committee and then every one of our pastors and elders uh, is engaged in the decision-making about that. The missions committee has the ability to come to the elders and say, hey, we really need to let so-and-so preach this particular week. Mm. Uh, one of our visiting missionaries. We don't want those things to be mm -hmm. separated. Uh, we also need to do research into who's the missionaries that you've inherited, that you're supporting. How were those decisions made? Uh, mm -hmm. Who are the people with the power of the purse in your church? Who are the influencers? Who's related to who, right? How did you end up with something? If it if it looks like kind of a patchwork quilt, how did each one of those support relationships begin? And then further within that, what can you do with the support of pastors and elders to establish agreed upon definitions, terms, visions, uh, values, statements, uh, mission statements, whatever it is to define the scope, and maybe it's too broad. You know, maybe the missions committee is also doing local outreach and this and that and the other. Maybe it needs to be really narrowed in on how do we support and train and send long-term workers. Um, but most people haven't done the foundational work of just 
writing those things down and saying, here's why this team or program uh, exists and here's why it doesn't exist. I think one of the good tests of whether or not your missions program is healthy in your church is, have you ever said no to something? Uh, if not, it's probably because you have a lot of good intentions, but not a lot of direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, saying no isn't always good, right? But it can be a sign that there's actually something that you value enough to exclude other things so that you can pursue that one thing. Now, Scott, you're in a, a new church, new for you. Uh, not not new completely, but but new to you. You're new to the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's what's the mission situation there look like? And you're dealing with a very small church, right, too. So I, I think the idea of coming in, sort of idolizing this picture of we're going to be the missions church, I mean, that, that might not be as realistic um, yeah. yet, right? And, right? and it's laying that before the Lord, too, and trusting him to, to take you there in his time. I have a church that of people that are globally minded because they come from all over the globe. <laughs> um, uh, they might yeah. not always see their home country as uh, as a mission field, though. Um, they might not see the mm. the people groups that they grew up near, but not but not directly in as a high priority. I but but what what I want to do first of all with our congregation because they 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 have a history of missions. They've been involved in missions before, but because of trials and difficulties and and the church really you know really shrinking through a period of time, that's just not been a high priority. And so it's going to take some time that, first of all, you know, emphasizing the need for missions. And so I've got it on the calendar in November as we're getting into our big, you know, Christmas offering for missions that I'm going to set aside some time to preach about missions. Um, It's just built that into my calendar before we head into Advent and the incarnation of Jesus into the world to save sinners I want to take some time to emphasize why it is that's so important. So right between Thanksgiving and the Advent season, I set aside some time for missions preaching. Um, I also want to invite missionaries and mission leaders to come and fill the pulpit occasionally. And so I try to look down the road and say, okay, in six months, in a year, I want to have certain strategic preachers that come in and preach and and help cast a vision for for missions. And, and so realizing that it's going to just take some time. One other thing that I want to do is is highlight exemplary uh, examples of missions. And I think that's something you can do, especially if you've inherited a lot of missionaries and some of them are missionaries you wish you could cut off. You probably shouldn't do that right away <laughs> um, because yeah. there's emotion and relationships and people are counting on you and those missionaries are counting on you as, as well. But what you can do is start bringing out the ones that are exemplary and, and highlighting those things that they're doing. And, and people start to put it together and say, okay, I, I am starting to get, you know, why this, what, what this missionary is doing is so helpful and valuable. Um, but it also starts to break the question of what about everybody else and kind of slowly brings them along in that conversation as well. So those are just a couple, I think, practical things you can do in your pulpit, um, in your leadership, uh, as you're, as you're thinking through, okay, what do I do if I don't, if, if I don't like the situation I've got, but I don't have the power to change it right now because I'm still, I'm still starting out. Um, anything you'd add to that? You know, by way of practical advice, as we kind of wind down, listen, I, I don't do this often. I don't like to, to always self-promote missions by the book, the book that I had the privilege of, of writing, uh, now about two years ago with Chad Vegas. Uh, I do think it's useful if you're a, a pastor uh, or someone who has a regular preaching or teaching ministry who's saying, I, I love what you're saying. I'm having a hard time figuring out how whatever text, whatever doctrine I'm wrestling with can be related to mission uh, in the broader sense and the imperative to go 
disciple the nations in the very specific sense that we have. And I think the book does that. I think it does that well, because what we do is we walk through several just categories of doctrine, Mm -hmm. systematic Mm -hmm. theology, and we say each one of these has very practical in the weeds missionary application. Uh, Each one of these means something for how we go about the missionary task. And so I do think the book would be useful from that standpoint, if you're wanting to connect those things. Scott, what are some resources that you would recommend too? I mean, this is helpful, but this is, we're really just scratching the surface here. Thinking about preaching, one of the best resources I ever received was was John Piper's little book um, on preaching. And uh, and I can't remember the title of it right now, but I, I read it back in like 1996. Uh, just come out, oh, I yeah. think it's called. Uh, I know what you're talking and, about. And uh, it just helped me think through glorifying Christ in my preaching. And that is so crucial to missions. Uh, so I think that's a good just way to start thinking about is a short little read. It'll help you start thinking about The supremacy about it. of God in preaching. The supremacy of God in preaching. It made a huge difference in my life. And uh, even though it's not, uh, it's not about missions preaching it, I think it, I think the exaltation of Jesus Christ is the number one motivator uh, to missions and ought to be yeah. the number one motivator to missions. So that's something um, that I would just encourage encourage people to read. I would encourage you to read missionary biographies um, because mm-hmm. those let those be illustrations that you're just weaving into your into your um, sermons because that helps capture the imagination um, of how the biblical text can be played out in someone's life, and you're doing it in such a way that allows them to connect the dots between God's heart for the nations my personal need to follow Jesus today, and then begs the question, well, maybe uh, God might be calling me to follow Jesus one day in, in the na- among the nations. Those are just a couple of things I would recommend. Yeah, no, I remember how the supremacy of God in preaching, I read that pretty early on in ministry, and that was a help to me as well. Just fundamentally, when you come to the text of Scripture, uh, we want to apply the text in all sorts of ways, but are we there to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the name of the triune God through the, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, or are we coming there with our expectations about how we want to apply that to individual people's lives and this and that? And, and all of that is important, but it's downstream. We go to the text of scripture so that we can show people how God is supreme and missions is absolutely the outflow of that. And so, Scott, I appreciate your wisdom. Maybe next time, I've got a text to preach on missions. I'll pick your brain about it. And so we would love to hear from you guys. Uh, Maybe this is helpful to you. Maybe there's something else you want to hear us address with a guest or just Scott and I here hanging out, talking about things, thinking the big thoughts, uh, what we would love to hear from you. And so write to us, alexatmissionspodcast.com with your questions, your suggestions, uh, or Scott at missionspodcast.com. And by the way, as always, the Missions Podcast is a ministry of ABWE. ABWE is a global missions agency with more than 1,000 missionaries reaching into 84 countries for almost 100 years focused on evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. To learn more about ABWE, go to abwe.org. And to get more podcast content from this show, go to missionspodcast.com. If you would feel so led, you can click the support tab at the top, man. That really helps. You know, the economy right now, not incredible, not going to lie with you. We appreciate those so much, those who have given and also those who support the show in other indirect ways, including leaving a positive rating and review for us. That'll help other people discover the content. Thanks for being with us this week. And until next week, Lord bless.